All right. Sound check, 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 check any check yourself. Check my, how do double I sound? Double check yourself before you double wreck yourself. Uh, yeah, the matriarchy is good. And patriarchy? Um, equality has been achieved. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Wow. Excellent. Welcome to Winging It. This is the offshoot of Birds of a Feather, the regularly scheduled every two weeks Birds of a Feather. This show happens on the off weeks, the in-between weeks. Therefore, there will never be a week without us. I mean, there shouldn't be. They asked for that? Okay, (laughs) it may be subconscious. (laughs) The second they heard Winging It, they wanted it more and more and we they heard thought, their souls crying out <laughs> yes from a dead sleep dead woke sleep. me up yeah. and right. i'm like well we need to fulfill this need they have and again of course we're you know giving in to the powers that be oh yes yes, yes. as always so this is a show where we do what we want for as long as we want and there's no music involved it's us talking about music so it is really just two bffs chatting about anything and everything music from an editing standpoint, that makes it easier because sometimes you would not believe the shit that goes on behind the, <laughs> <laughs> behind the scenes that gets left on the cutting room floor uh, with birds of a feather. It's just like at the end of like a 15-minute dissertation on the Napoleonic Wars or something, Christina will be like discreetly trying to say, yeah, that was uh, interesting how you spun that out of a introduction to a one minute and 50-second song, a punk rock song about not wanting to do your homework. That was uh, That was really... <laughs> And Insightful. Like, that's a little hint for me. See, I'm, I'm quick enough on the uptake to realize that's a hint to, to cut that. So there's so much stuff that goes on that you don't get to hear. But I'm winging it. We pretty much just run flat out, you know, damn the torpedoes and all that stuff. So That's right. You get what you get. You get what you get. So. so what will we be talking about this week? As those of you who are regular listeners know, David has no idea what I'm going to talk about, what I'm bringing up, why I'm bringing it up. So uh, he is caught completely unaware. And yet... He always does an amazing job at keeping up with the conversation, and I certainly try to follow suit. This time, we have sought out counsel and information from Louder and Rolling Stone to talk about the top duets of all time. Oh. We talk about duet songs, I assume, Correct. Awesome. Awesome. So this is going to be fun. Now, these are in no particular order. But I cannot wait to hear, or to see rather, because we're sitting here across from each other in both studios right now, recording. So I get to see the response. You get to hear it, but I get both. I get just multi, multi uh, layer response. Yeah, she gets to see the blank stare when I don't recognize the kid music song she's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) True. So the first one, and again, in no particular order, Ozzy Osbourne and Lita Ford. Close my eyes forever. Close my eyes forever. Yes. Okay. 1988. No, has it been that long? Wow. Yes. In the late 80s, so powerful was the allure of the power ballad duet that even the coke-snorting, bat-munching Prince of Darkness succumbed to it. In time-honored tradition, Sharon was to blame, of course. At the time, Mrs. was managing former runaway star Lita Ford as well as the old man. Putting the two together was a no-brainer. I actually did not know that Sharon Osbourne managed Lita Ford. Honestly, I did. Mm. I know that they had played on some bills together and, of course, did this song, which uh, I really like. Yeah, it's a it's a hit for me. I've never actually owned the thing, but I do appreciate uh, I think their vocals, well, I mean, 
anyone's vocal is going to contrast with Ozzy's. I mean, it doesn't sound like anybody else. True. So um, I enjoyed that one very much. Good tune. Great tune. Yeah. So this one was a little, I don't know how else to say it, a little Muppety for me. They both seemed a little Muppety, a little like kind of dorky. Muppety. Um, I could Google that, but perhaps you could, <laughs> I could wiki, wiki search that, but uh, Wikipedia, but uh, or uh, wiki dicky, whatever it is, <laughs> Wiktionary. But what exactly is Muppety? Uh, the way that they performed this song, it sounded like maybe, you know, you could do a duet between... You know, maybe Fozzie Bear and Mrs. Piggy. <laughs> and that's that's what I got. I thought it was an okay song, but it almost felt like a parody. It was overdone. It was over the top, which was the 80s, of course. Schlock. But yeah, just, schlock was king. Yeah, It was schlock, but it's a little Muppety for me. <laughs> okay. That's an interesting reaction. I shall have to file that away. And giving giving due credit to you, every time I say that was a little Muppety, I'll say, oh, I, I got that from Christina. That's right. It just, I'm just saying just a little Muppety. I mean, like Fozzie Bear, Miss Piggy. Wow. You know? And and the Muppets, by the way, have some spectacular, uh, wonderful uh, song numbers in their movies. So. For sure. They do. With some of the most amazing artists of all times, of course, or some of the lamest as well. Miss Piggy uh, with Amy Adams, Me Party. Classic, babe. Classic. Come on. Come on. All right, so you ready for the next one? Yeah. David Bowie and Mick Jagger, Dancing in the Street. Oh, 1985. Yeah, now that is uh, an interesting one to try to cover. I would say they had better success with it than, say, Van Halen did, uh, honestly. Uh, It's a different take, though. I mean, it's a classic R&B rock and roll standard, and I think Bowie and Jagger uh, did it in the spirit which it was originally intended and yeah. um, didn't reinvent it, but it was a hell of a lot of fun. And watching them perform, and you know I'm not a real big video person, but watching them perform, it was a blast too. I think you're coming around to videos more. Yeah, I do. I think you're I think starting I am. to I'm warm starting to, to them. Yeah, I am. Because whenever I think about a song, I think, oh yeah, that was a good video. Well, boy, I hate videos. Maybe maybe I'm just telling myself that I hate videos. But uh, yeah, I like that, uh, the version. And uh well, Bowie does uh, good duets in general. I mean, because he he's so singular and just kind of like Ozzy, so singular in his vocal that uh, anyone he sings with, though, say Freddie Mercury, for example, under uh, pressure, there's turns, another or, one of the um, best. Any the goddess Lennox uh, oh. just really uh, makes for a fascinating result. So yeah, I like that one too, and uh, it captures without any pretension, without any kind of. Uh, any kind of snark or any kind of, uh, you know, to a very affectionate salute to the early rock and roll days. I do recall reading someplace, David Bowie once said, I don't like rock and roll. It's like, shut up. Okay. I mean, I never wanted to tell the great men to shut up before, but that's a dumb thing to say. I mean, how do you not like rock and roll when you're a rock and roll singer? I you mean... know? And, uh, well, this song proves that they both do. It's only rock and roll and they both like it. So, yeah, great tune. I loved it. No, it's a great, great song. I think it's it's a great take on the song. Now, when I first heard this, it was 1985, and I wasn't as old as you think I might have been then. So I didn't know that it was a remake at the time, right? Ah. I had no idea. I thought, this is a really great song, but it seemed like a departure for both of them, which I thought was fun to see them do something that seemed you know, out of character for what they normally do with their music. And I liked that. I really enjoyed it. And they seemed like they were having fun. They seemed like they were buddies. They were BFFs, you know, doing this video and just having a fucking good time. And they just, I loved it. I loved every second of it. It was campy. Mm-hmm. It was a little, uh, I don't know, there was a little, I thought, and I'm going to say it, sexual tension between the two of them. I thought there was a little bit, <laughs> the look on your face was classic just Well, it's now. possible, yeah. I, I felt that, and I thought it was adorable. 
But that song, I really loved it, and I loved the video. Now, let's go right to Under Pressure, because that's another one ah. on the list, of course, of top duets of all time. Now, that that for me is is really Freddie Mercury and David Bowie doing what they do and doing it brilliantly and doing it in a way that complements each other. I mean, that's just other level. And I think the best thing about that is that it gave us Ice Ice Baby. He did not just say that. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. No. no. And you would think <laughs> I knew, because I've been a longtime fan of both of those acts, I did not know such a thing was in the works at all. I was driving mm. along one day, and I heard the radio, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's Bowie. And it's like, wait a minute, that's Freddie Mercury. And there isn't any question about, is it somebody who sounds like oh, him? No. It's obviously both. And I'm like... Wait a minute, why are they both on the same song? Is right. this something new? Little did I even know that that was going to be, because it was before the release of Hot Space, which is a semi-unfortunate Queen album, but I mean, it has its moments, you know, yeah. mostly mostly Brian May's moments, but it has its moments. And I thought, this is really amazing. As a song, honestly, I think it's, it is a great song, but at the same time, it's a little angsty and a little overwrought, and I don't know, I, I mean, I'm not criticizing it, I don't know how to describe it, but it's it's a great song, but... I think it's a little overdone in some way uh, that I lack the capacity to express, but it actually holds up pretty well, even when performed solo, even when performed without two different vocalists. Like I've seen those types of bands that you don't like uh, perform uh, this song with one vocal. <laughs> those types of bands that you don't like. <laughs> you don't like, like you know, <laughs> because some of the members of the group are still alive and performing. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not perfect, but... Uh, <laughs> I so disagree. I think it's just brilliantly done. I really like the sentiment in it. I like that there's a little bit of angst in there because we all know and feel pressure all the time. I mean, you know, not only not in me, not, well, not, I mean, <laughs> no, except yes, you. Yes, me too, me too. Um, no, of course. So I just, I really liked it and I liked the, the emotion in it. I like all of that. So it really speaks to me, but I don't really have issues with angst and sadness in songs. That's Clearly. just a... <laughs> all right. I actually Which really makes me like surprised it. that you like Dancing in the Street because it lacks all of those things. Uh... Well, but remember, I'm a child, well, a child of the 80s in some ways. So, of course, I love that, all that. I grew up with it. Yeah. Looking back on it, if I watch the video now, though, I'm like, wow, that video's really lame. But it's really <laughs> fun. It's still fun, and it's still very sweet. And well, it's... 80s videos, come on. All uh, they of them, were, right? They were cheese... Cheese-tastic. They really were. <laughs> <laughs> they were cheese-tastic. I mean, love is a battlefield? Come on. I mean, come on. anything by scandal? Come like... on, you know. These great... <laughs> <laughs> you, she's doing the love is a battlefield shoulder shake here which is simply, <laughs> that, that was my beef. <laughs> that was my beef when i saw the dark knight rises for the first time and it's like that big street fight there looked like a freaking 80s music Come video on, right <laughs> <I> mean, right <laughs> people pairing off and squaring off and <laughs> Like, oh, right. come on. Come on. <laughs> I mean, now, we don't want it to be too chaotic, but damn, it looks like an 80s music video. <laughs> really but uh, anyway, sorry about that little aside. No, but, that uh, was, that's no, totally no, fun. I was going to bring the Peloponnesian Wars in there, but I just didn't. You so. know what? Let's save that. <laughs> yeah, let's I mean, I love it. I see the parallels all over the place. Of course. But let's save that for just a little later all in right. the show. So the next one, Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush, Don't Give Up, 1986. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, that's that's real because I'd heard the song before because we talked about it on Birds uh, of a Feather at some point or another mm-hmm. <clears throat> in the last year or a few months. And the other day I watched the video, though. Oh, my goodness. It's the biggest onion-peeling tearjerker ever. Uh, it's just so beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, uh, 
you can't listen to this while driving because you're just going to go, you won't be able to see the road. It is beautiful. And uh, I don't know the writing credit on that. You probably do. Is it Gabriel himself and then Kate just does the vocal? I think it's Gabriel. I cannot remember. I know I looked it up at some point. I will say that it was said about this song, actually. It was the dream art rock pairing that almost didn't happen. As astonishing as it seems, Gabriel had wanted to work, hmm, had wanted to record, not work, Don't Give Up with Dolly Parton. Really? Believing that his lyrics for the song, inspired by photographs of the Great Depression in 1930s America, would have a deeper resonance if sung by an American voice. Instead, Dolly turned him down. He found the perfect, perfect partner in Kate Bush. Yeah, Dolly's got a great voice, but honestly, this is Kate Bush. She's heartbreaking. She's heartbreaking. You can feel it. She really means it. And to see them together, they look so sweet. Oh, my God. They look so... They're like two uh, best friends in the entire world holding each other and taking care of each other. This video, if you've not seen it, I've seen this uh, video so many times, and every single time I see it, that's why I needed you to see it, because I knew you loved the song. Every time I get teary, every time I'm so moved... It's so simple. It's a simple concept that you would think, oh, that's not going to work. Oh, with the lyrics, with this song, it's just beautiful. This is certainly one of my top duets. I really love this song. It's beautiful. If you haven't heard it, please go listen to it. Because even if you don't like Gabriel or you don't like Bush together, wow. Yeah, yeah. There's no way. Of course... There's one possible way you're not going to be moved by this song is if you like don't have a heart or a soul or anything. There's if, that. Uh, there's right. that. Good call. It, it would take that, though, because it's it just beautiful. And, <laughs> before, <laughs> you hear that? I wear the headset in the family here, the pink, <laughs> the pink headset when we record the show. How emasculating is that? No, I have no problem with that. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I, I love it. It's one of my favorite colors. But I'm wearing the headset, and, and she's like stroking the microphone. <laughs> and I'm like, Absent-mindedly. You know, you don't know how much of an effect that's having on what I'm hearing over here and what the audience will hear. So, so there it is. Imagine listening to this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's what we're dealing with here. Okay. Uh, so Sorry. Thankfully, we caught that before the recording began, so I just had to bring it back up. So to be sure you didn't miss it, even though I made a point of making sure that she didn't do it. So, you know, yes. It's a little ahead. bit of torture and a little bit of giving me shit, which is part of the show. Yeah. It's, it's uh, It was just uh, such a, a wonderful moment. Wasn't it? It was yeah. very moving. <laughs> okay. Okay, so now, Temple of the Dog, Hunger Strike, 1991. Yeah, now this was introduced to me recently, like five minutes ago, by (laughs) you. And um, I admit it didn't sound promising because you had a great singer, which was Chris Cornell. Oh, yes. And I'd heard of Temple of the Dog, but I've heard of a million things that I never actually listened to. But I didn't know it was a super group with uh, members of uh, Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. So half... Good, half bad. Uh, Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder. And I got to say, I really enjoyed the track, and they must have put some super effects on Eddie Vedder's voice because it was listenable. In fact, he and Cornell sound very similar on this one, which uh, they usually don't to my ears. And, of course, Chris Cornell does these awesome harmonies and uh, high uh, screamy repetitions of the lines Vedder's singing, and and they trade verses. And I I really enjoyed this. So thanks for introducing me to this Super hit by a super group, uh, which I had totally missed. It's, uh, it's great. I absolutely love this song. It certainly is one of my favorites, and it's got a story. So let me share the story with you a little bit, and then I'll tell you more about my love of this song and this super group. So uh, Mother Love Bone was a band that was big during that time, and Andrew Wood, like many, unfortunately, other singers in that time died 
of heroin overdose in 1990. And so this is kind of a tribute to him, this particular song by not only Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, but then also members of Mother Love Bone were part of the supergroup as well. So you kind of got a little bit of everything. So it's a tribute to, again, another fallen, you know, singer, well, at least band member. So that's what this song was about. So very, very heartfelt, very emotional song for everybody involved. And you can feel the emotion. And there's a really great video that goes along with it. And it's very much of the Seattle time, but it's very cool. And this song is always um, kind of haunting and kind of sad. Number one, you know what it's about, but you can hear the emotion without even knowing what it's about. You kind of hear the desperation. You hear the longing. It's just a beautiful song. So they were only around for a couple of years, Temple of the Dog, but everything they put out was really good. Of course, nothing quite hit, you know, the height that this particular song did. But Hunger Strike is just a classic and it goes down as being one of the best, to me, songs of that time. Wow. I would not have known. It sounds like just some, you know, imaginary character sketch uh, kind of thing. And with all that emotional, heart-wrenching stuff, you just totally ruined some cheap (laughs) gag I was going to make about, you know, dudes uh, (laughs) wearing flannel shirts, staring at their feet, drinking coffee, you know, but uh, that isn't going to work now. So, yeah, go. What's the next one? I totally ruined it for you. Totally ruined it for me. All right. The next song I'm assuming is one that you're going to be very pleased with. Alice Cooper and Donovan, Billion Dollar Babies, 1973. Oh, yeah. In fact, I think I pointed this out to you that they had done this and uh, happened by chance, uh, as many of this type of collaboration. And Donovan is not billed. I mean, it's not billed as a duet. It's just it's Alice Cooper. It's on an Alice Cooper record. And this is another one like Under Pressure that is performed without the second vocal. When Alice Cooper does it live, as he always does, he just sings it himself. Right. But uh, the Donovan uh, vocal on this is just priceless. He happened to be recording in the building down the hall and somehow they got together and they alternate uh, taking lead and the other follows, and then the second time Donovan takes the lead and Alice follows. We go dancing nightly in the attic. I mean, Donovan is just this, <laughs> you know, the hippie flower child, Mr. Mellow Yellow himself with Mr. Sick Things, and it just is a beautiful duet. They are great together, and uh, this is one of my favorite songs on so many levels. I mean, the classic drum intro. If you want to talk about why drums are superior to the fucking uh, plastic, phony plastic beat machine, because intros like this uh, are one of the reasons. And the guitar work is totally insane. And it's just creepy and cool enough that this is the ultimate, you know, we go dancing nightly in the attic while the moon is rising in the sky. If I'm too rough, tell me. I'm so scared your little head will come off in my hands. This is just cla- <laughs> This is just the, one of the greatest recordings of the 70s uh, of Alice Cooper's career, and, and I would say Donovan's career, too. And I'm glad they happened to run into each other and do this. And uh, it was serendipitous and uh, just a masterpiece and an all-time classic. And this is one of the... My introductions to that whole scene of music when I moved into the suburbs, and this is what the kids were listening to that I never heard in the city, and uh, changed my life forever, this uh, this album, and it's a great song. Anybody who doesn't know it really ought to listen to it, and not one of the live versions, the studio one with Donovan, because that is the definitive recording of Billion Dollar Babies. Well, it says this title track from the Coops masterpiece was one of the most bizarre love songs ever written. The subject is a sex doll which he serenaded thus, rubber little monster, baby, I adore you, man or woman living couldn't love me 
like you do. An additional frisian of twisted romantic delusion was supplied in interlude sung by folk rock kook Donovan in a weird faux cockney voice. Wow. I see. I thought it was about an actual baby doll and not a sex toy, but it probably double, uh, double entendre, uh, <laughs> suggestive of both. But it's uh, it's just so bizarre. It is one of those. There's some weird twisted uh, sex caper on all of the early Alice Cooper records. And this is Billion Dollar Babies edition. And well, unless you count I Love the Dead, <laughs> that takes it to another level altogether. You know? uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's priceless. It's a must here. Nice. Well, Sonny and Shares, I got you, babe. Oh. So less than a year after Bob Dylan released his caustic It Ain't Me, Babe, Sonny Bono decided to write what essentially is a response song. He'd recently fallen madly in love with Cher, and Dylan's words didn't speak to him. The song was an enormous smash, obviously hitting number one in the summer of 1965. Wow. I grew up with Sonny and Cher on television, uh, their show, and then she had a show of her own later. And I just love them. And, you know, little known to much of the general public that Sonny was the author of some of their uh, biggest hit songs, I believe, like uh, Cowboy's Work Is Never Done. And this one, certainly. And, you know, if you write exactly the correct kind of song, you can get away with having a voice like Sonny Bono's. And the two of them are just sweet together on this. And the song endures today. You can on... um, I almost said TikTok. God forgive me. <laughs> what I meant was jib jab. You can actually go on jib jab and put your face and the face of some other person into the hippy dippies in the uh, adorable little animation and uh, send that out and just touch somebody's heart. I love this song. I think it is sweet and beautiful and uh, a good counter to uh, It Ain't Me Babe, uh, I got to say. For sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, very touching. And, um, you know, they were they were a sweet, cute, fun couple to grow up with seeing on television. And it is a lovely song, i got to say. So good for you, Sonny, for uh, writing it. And uh, both of them did a great job with it. It's one of my faves. Yeah, I mean, I think the song is adorable. I love the, you know, the couple thing. I think it's so cute. And <clears throat> I think that it's one of those things that I always thought, oh, I, I love these little couple songs. I wish that I had one. But that's just kind of not what we do. But I love that there are people that do these cute little sweet songs. And I love that it was a couple that was in love. And it was this celebration. And of course, I mean, it wasn't how it was introduced to me, but it's it's forever immortalized in Groundhog Day for me. (laughs) Because every morning he wakes up to I Got You, Babe, every single morning when he's reliving the same day again and again, which is a classic movie. But yeah, I Got You, Babe is just a sweet, sweet song about two people in love. Well, you know, this is bizarre. I just saw Groundhog Day last year for the first time in my life. (gasps) I know, right? Because I was thinking to myself, what is wrong with me that all these movies that people have seen, I have not seen? I had it in my head for the last like 15 years that comedies were lame and they (gasps) sucked. And I started watching them, and I started watching some of the ones that people were always telling me were good, and I and started watching, like, Simon Pegg movies and stuff like that. Yeah. And I realized comedy actually isn't lame. I'm sure there are a few, you know. Or like Dumb the, and Dumber. The, yeah, Mount. the lowbrow ones yeah. that, I, that I avoid. But I really love the uh, the comedies, and I'm catching I'm having a great time catching up on a lot of comedies. And I saw Groundhog Day, and I don't remember, and of course it happens many times because the day is relived uh, often, that that is the song that he woke up to. I just didn't remember that. Uh, but as for the first line of the song, they say we're young and we don't know. Believe them, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> They're right. <laughs> Believe them. Yeah. So from one love song, though this one is not between a couple, to another, Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, Islands in the Stream. Oh. This song. I mean, I think you need to get your shaker out for this one. It's ready. Ready? 
Islands in the stream. That is what we are. What's this? The uh, the uh, Valium version here. Let's yes. just pick it up a little bit. <laughs> okay. Islands in the stream. That is what we are. No one in between. How can we be wrong? Sail away with me to another world, and we rely on each other. Uh huh. From one lover to another. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, my mind was warped because there was a cover of that, a bastardization called Ghetto Superstar, and I was actually accidentally singing some of those words, so do yeah. pardon me. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I think Kenny and Dolly will be okay with it. I remember when I was younger, I really wanted them to be married to each other because I just loved both of them. They were the country music icons for me if ever there were any it was these two and I wanted them to be married and I really thought when they were doing this song I'm like they're married oh my god how amazing they're not married and they were they, never they pretend to be a couple they uh... did they were and I I still kind of mm, not sure if there wasn't some secret love affair happening know. there I don't one's know one's got a chicken restaurant one's got a theme park you know they're they're kind of uh... well, the chicken restaurant has gone the way of the you know dinosaur yeah well yeah <laughs> roasters is roasters yep. and so is Kenny so sadly, is Kenny unfortunately which makes yes. me sad but Dolly's still going and Dolly is mostly um, like Cher, made of much, uh, you know, manufactured parts and pulleys and things to keep her looking that way, you know. But hey, it works. You got the money. Get her done, I suppose, right? Yeah, as you said. Well, there was a time when country was okay. It was. It was nothing like the crap that it is today. And uh, the absolutely monotone, interchangeable spark plug cookie-cutter horse shit that we hear today. It was good, and they were two of the best. I really like both of them as solo artists. But we both like Garth Brooks. We've had that discussion. We both think oh, Garth is ab- great. that was the last. He yeah, was the I mean, last. He was... yeah, I love Garth. Oh, I've actually I had Garth. several Garth Brooks albums. I really like Same him. Same here. Yeah, I'm, yeah. A, I'm a Garth fan. I do, yep, I do love yep. Garth. Um, so we have a couple, you know, choice, uh, choice country people that we like. Around the time that this song came out. So the Bee Gees were just about the least cool group in the planet in 1983. Disco was most assuredly dead. And they seemed like fossils from another era. This posed a problem when the group wrote a surefire hit like Islands in the Stream. They could either release it on their own and watch it sink like a stone. Or they could give it to two huge stars like Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. And they gambled and it paid off. Right on. Because I can't imagine the Brothers Gibb doing this particular song. Uh, no. As much as I love them uh, from the 60s on, oh, yeah. this is the kind of thing you write and give to somebody else to sing. No question about it. Absolutely. One of my favorite, though, beloved song, whenever it comes on, I, I will absolutely not change the channel. I will not turn it off. I sing at the top of my lungs with it every time. Islands in the Stream is just a little classic country gem for me. It does remind me of another instance where somebody wrote a great song, a duet, Gave it to two other artists to sing, but did it better on her own with another uh, companion, which would be the case of Stevie Nicks, Mm. gave the fantastic leather and lace to Waylon Jennings and Jesse Coulter. Mm. Uh, But her version with Don Henley was way better, because probably because I'm not a big country person, but it was just brilliant, don't you think? It's very interesting you bring that up, because they are on the list. So let's go ahead and talk about Stevie Nicks and Don Henley and the leather and lace, which is... 
I don't know why this song totally moves me, but it does. There's something about the I'm giving this to you and you give me something back that is just so beautiful. And I love that I love that it's leather and lace. It kind of shows the the softness and the hardness that implies, you know, the male and female stereotype. But at the same time, it's so sweet. Um, I love the sentiment and I love this track. So here's an interesting little bit about it. And I'd like to go ahead and thank Louder and Rolling Stone for sharing some of these great thoughts that I then share with the audience and you, David. If, if they could give us a plug, that would be nice. That would be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so they've never talked about it much, but Don Henley and Stephen X dated for a couple of years in the 70s. See, I didn't even know that. See, yep. Because I'm not a personal life person. There are things I learned about people that was like, oh, really? I never knew that. And you, sometimes you're like, I'd rather not have known that. Yeah, you know? well, some things are cringy, I don't want to know, and yeah. some things are just like, you're kidding me. Really? Like, I recently found out that Cherie Curry of The Runaways was married to Robert Hayes, the actor from Airplane, and they have this kid who's in her band. It was like, who the hell knew stuff? I didn't know that, and I should have, because I don't listen to that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I didn't know about Don Henley and Stevie Nicks, although I assume all those California rockers dated each other at some point or another. Well, they remained friends even after the breakup. Mm Mm-hmm. And when Nick's cut her debut album in 1981, Henley agreed to duet with her on Leather and Lace, a track she originally wrote, as you mentioned, for Waylon Jennings and Jesse Coulter. The The country pair named their 1981 album Leather and Lace, wow. but inexplicably cut the song from their disc. It was their loss since Henley and Nick's brought it to number six on the Hot 100, proving they didn't need the Eagles or Fleetwood Mac to land songs on the radio. Yes, Don Henley, uh, vocalist and drummer of the much maligned Eagles, <laughs> uh, we've discussed recently, who I think are phenomenal. So, well, uh, Stevie Nicks' debut album, Belladonna, is oh, just wonderful. Come on. Just great stuff. We've talked about uh, that on Birds, too. Uh, I, and I don't know if this is another duet that's going to come up. There's another great duet on that very album, and I don't know if it's on this list or not. With uh, Ms. Nix and Mr. Tom Petty. That was another one. It is on it this is. list yeah. as well. Stevie's <laughs> racking them up, you know. Absolutely. So Stop Dragging My Heart Around is another classic. Stevie Nicks wasn't going to take any chances on Belladonna, her first solo album. Not only did she recruit Don Henley, as we talked about, but she managed to get her hands on Stop Dragging My Heart Around, a song Tom Petty and Mike Campbell wrote and slated for a Heartbreakers album. So Stevie worked some of her magic with a little help from Jimmy Iovine. And the song moved to her album. It hit number three on the Hot 100, and they've sung it together a number of times, most notably on Petty's 2006 tour. Sadly, they won't ever sing it together again because we lost Mr. Petty. But this song, oh, it's classic. Oh, it is. Well, you notice we're losing all the dudes. Kenny's gone, Tom Petty's gone, and then the ladies are just hanging on and on. What's all right, up with so that? just in these scenarios, <laughs> it's not universal. Well, the hubbies <laughs> always go first, too. Oh. I mean, uh, Usually. Okay, sorry, sorry. But You're bringing me down. Oh, that's the last <laughs> thing we want to do. Yes, unless it was a song, in which case you'd want it to be Then like I'd that. want yeah. it. You know what? Right. Fuck you. <laughs> but, yeah, this is a great one, too. And it is so interesting because Stevie Nicks has such a such a singular voice. I mean, there's nothing. Oh, for sure. Nothing that's ever sounded like her before. How well she meshes harmonically with Don Henley and Tom Petty is just great. These are two sensational songs on an album that's just busting at the seams oh, with yeah. them. So, yeah, another classic. I'm giving this one all the thumbs up I got. Absolutely. So I'm going to go to, uh, kind of got to jump around here a little bit because we just got through a couple of classics. Elton John and Kiki D, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Oh. Oh, this song. I couldn't this if song. I tried. Or I, is it I wouldn't if I tried? I couldn't if I tried. I couldn't if I tried. Oh, honey, if I get restless. 
Baby, Baby you're, you're not, not that kind. kind. Although we're singing them together and they don't, but I mean. Ooh, ooh. Nobody, nobody knows it. it. Nobody knows it. When I was down. I was your clown. Uh, <laughs> all right. We don't want to do the whole song. Actually, we That's do. That's a kind karaoke of song for us. That we is, should do right. that. Yeah, we've got so many of them we lined have up. To, I know. Whenever we get back to it, we're going to have fun. You ought to see us at karaoke. I know. It's so much fun. Elton John and Bernie Taupin were working on their 1976 LP, Blue Moves, when they decided to write a duet like the great Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell songs of the 60s. They recruited English pop singer Kiki D to sing the song with Elton John, and it shot to to the Billboard Hot 100. Elton has since gone on to sing the song with everyone from Miss Piggy to RuPaul. Miss Piggy to RuPaul. Miss Piggy. Yeah, I'm, that's everyone. That's that's it runs the whole gambit. Any actual females or is <laughs> I don't think he's I don't think he's No, I don't think picky. he's into that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's not so into chicks. So. But um, but yeah, Muppety stuff. It's a, it's a well he's done so many and I don't want to lead again with another one that's on the list, but he's done any number of notable duets, and yes. uh, they're all beautiful. Because I mean, Elton John is such a legend to me; it's not oh, even funny. I can't even. When I was a teenage dodo head uh, kid in the suburbs with my bass guitar and my bands in the laundry room, and I had rock star posters all over the place. Mom's laundry room had all these posters, but two of Elton John. That's how much of a legend he was to me. Oh. And uh, I mean, he's just uh, oh. just an icon. It doesn't even doesn't even do him justice. Can't even. Re- he doesn't and, even like register on normal scales. No, it's no. just. No, and um, that's a great song. Oh. I mean, people don't like cheesy duets and things like that, but me, I am Mr. Cheese, bring it on. It's, and this is, uh, this is one of the titans of cheesy love duets. Uh, can't beat it. And the video, isn't it just the oh. cutest thing? It is Come the on. sweetest thing. And that reminds me, if my friend Greg ever listens to this show, Greg and I, for years, way back in the day in the 90s, the mid to late 90s, this was our duet. We would do it all. He would come to my karaoke show because back in the day I ran karaoke. And he has this beautiful, soulful, R&B, buttery voice. And for some reason... buttered soul, basically. Yes. And basically this guy liked my voice and I was like, really? Your voice is ridiculous. And he's like, do you want to do Don't Go Breaking My Heart? And we would do it and we just had the best time. And then we'd have these big hugs, these big bear hugs after he'd give me these big bear hugs. Just one of my dearest friends, very sweet now. I mean, we've been out of touch. We talk on Facebook now and again, but oh, one of the sweetest guys ever. But that song will forever remind me of him. You got to go to Smool and do it again. I know, right? (laughs) I (laughs) I got to do it. Uh, I got to do it. I got it. Oh, no, I didn't. I'm so punny. Do it till you're satisfied, you know? Oh, no. (laughs) How did I get this punny? Is it the older (laughs) I get, the more punny I get? I'm not sure. One should. One should. It's it's like, like, it keeps the brain sharp, and it's a lot more fun than Sudoku. That's true. And it's a rite of passage, I think, kind of sort of thing. So we have a couple more to go. I think you're going to dig this one. Meatloaf and Cher, Dead Ringer for Love. Baby, baby, rock and roll. First of all... You get rock and roll and brew. That's actually a lyric in this song. That just goes through how cornball this is. I mean, Jim Steinman can write absolute cheese and you know, puerile adolescent rubbish, but he's a genius, of course. You know, I mean, this is the same guy who wrote uh, uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Yes. I mean, come on, you know. But you can't help but love the outrageous outer limits campiness of this just moronic song. I mean, and it also had a video with uh, Meatloaf and Cher singing which is about also basically, campy and which crazy. Is, yeah, which is totally ridiculous. 
But it's fun. Of course, Cher is, is known for doing lots and lots of duets, and she even did one with, wait for it, Spinal Tap. Yes, she and David St. Hubbins share lead vocals on Spinal Tap's Just Begin Again, which is uh, really quite something. Uh, very, It's a beautiful song. And um, did I mention this on a previous show? I forgot if I did, that um, when they performed it live, they had a picture of her up on the screen with, like, moving lips because <laughs> <laughs> singing her part uh, and playing the record. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, uh, I mean... If you're one of those serious people, this is just going to piss you off because it's one of <laughs> it's the most idiotic thing in the world. But uh, Dead Ringer for Love from the album Dead Ringer uh, is just uh, yeah, it's it's what do you want? I mean, if you could endure Paradise by the Dashboard Light, this this, this is right up your alley. Yeah, this is right up your alley. Yeah. Well, as one critic noted, Cher could sing any old piece of tat like her next meal depended on it, and if anyone can empathize with that, it's Meatloaf. The two old troopers teamed up for this hit single from Dead Ringer meets follow-up to Bat Out of Hell, a frenzied rock and roll anthem that hits fever pitch and stays there for the duration. Dead Ringer is surely the most OTT duet of them all. Big, so Big time over the top. Yep. It is. It really is. And I mean, I'm not a huge fan of this song. I'm not a huge Cher fan, though. I don't really get it. I mean, I get the Sonny and Cher thing more than I get just the Cher thing. Um, so I'm not a huge fan. I'm a huge Meatloaf fan. Um, I will always be a Meatloaf fan. And uh, this is a weird song. The video, I'm just agape at the video. I'm like, this is just too <laughs> stupid. I can't. And she looks like a, I don't even know, like, I don't know what that makeup situation is. I don't know what's going on with the hair. I'm out. But anyway, it's a cute song. It's just, it's not my favorite. Well, I remember, I haven't seen the video in a long, long time. Of course, I have to see it now. I of mean, course. I'm going to have to, but I, I haven't seen it in years. I remember... Thinking it was like cheesy and over the top. They're oh, jumping around yeah. on this bar and pool tables and bars. And I, don't, I don't even remember what was going on. <laughs> you mean up. like love is a battlefield? Yeah, worse. Yeah, no, not as, nothing's <laughs> quite worse than that. But I remember thinking Cher looked good because I've thought Cher looked good since I was a kid. So, you know. Well, but, she's preserved in that way. So yeah, she'll well, always look the same. She'll be dead 20 years and that's she'll right. look exactly the same. That's right. You dig her up and be like, wow. She's, she's like a McDonald's hamburger. That's right. She's well preserved. <laughs> but this is one of those songs that I have a feeling would be. More enjoyable still if it were in a foreign language and you didn't know what stupid shit they were saying, <laughs> oh you know, <laughs> or, or for people in other countries, because, you know, uh, American music is very, very popular in other countries, presumably among people who don't speak English fluently. But uh, a lot of American bands are very, very huge in, uh, in I almost said Australia. They speak English there, though. They do. I was going to yes. say Japan, Japan. <laughs> a lot of American bands are huge in Japan. And uh, this is one of those things that, you know, maybe the words are a little uh, expendable, but it is high energy. It is fun and catchy, and it's just one of those things. I mean, it's not as ridiculous as you shook me all night long, and look what a classic that is. So. Well, it's, it's, nothing could be as bad as we built this city, so oh. it gets a pass. Oh, we built this city as Shakespeare compared to oh, you shook me all night long. Yeah. Well, I'm saying in comparison to this, uh, oh, yeah, the Dead yeah, Ringer. Yeah. You know. Of the two, by the way, I like we built this city better, so. <laughs> Sorry. We're still we're going to beat that out of you. It's over time. I'm going to have everyone who's ever heard that song remind you of how lame it is, and we're going to be. You're like it can't happen. Deprogramming, yeah, deprogramming. <laughs> yeah, it's like cult. It's like from a cult, you know. <laughs> That's it. Like you've been brainwashed with that song. We've got to help you out, and so that next time you hear it, you're like, oh, this song sucks ass. I'm like, yeah, David. Like I said, anybody who likes It's the End of the World as We Know It. Uh, oh, it's should, a great song. Should, it is. And so is We Built This City and so is Stairway to Cleveland. Not the same. <laughs> Not the same. Okay. We're like, you're like well, apples, okay. the, oranges. The singers don't have clothespins on their nose. That's true. You know. Oh, um, sorry, we better move on. <laughs> you better move on. Oh, because, oh, my. Look at the time. Because who sounds more nasally than Cher? Uh, well. Nobody in the world sounds as nasally as Cher. But. 
but she's a chick, so it, it, it's kind of natural. But for Michael Stipe to sound like he does, you know. Nope. It's my my. Look at the time. <laughs> yeah, we better move. On. <laughs> we better move on. <laughs> my my. <laughs> All look right. At the time as if we have a deadline. Here. <laughs> but you know what? I will move on, and we will talk about this later. We're actually recording very late again because it was like 120 degrees today, or yeah. some bullshit yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. So and we there had was to just start no way. really, really late. You know. But you know what? This is where we hit our stride. We're this, cool. This is, yeah, this is our time. Yeah. So the last song on our Actually, list... Actually, it's five minutes to two. So this is usually the time when they start kicking us out of bars and stuff like that. So. That's true. So yeah. we're just getting started. Yeah. So I have saved a classic for the last one. So the last one is Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Oh, well. Uh, talk about classic. Talk about enduring. Uh, well, of course, we're all familiar with the uh, Diana Ross version as well, but it's much better as a duet. And this song is so immortal that... I was absolutely shocked that we were talking about karaoke just a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. that we were at the uh, karaoke place that we go to, and they played this, and this room, this is right before all this Rona shit happened, uh, the room was packed full of kids, absolute stone-cold kids, not one of them 30 or above. No, they were like and, 21, 20, yeah, 22, yeah. maybe. And this song was playing, and I remember capturing a little bit of video on this, they were going ballistic, all of them, singing this song, and I thought, yeah, you know, these kids actually know some good music. And I was even more surprised when I got up there and started doing Elvis's The Wonder of You. The mere horn intro. They knew it right away and started shrieking and freaking out. I mean, none of the ladies threw bras at me or anything, but it was still uh, very well received. And they loved this song. So tell us who wrote this wonderful song. Well, real-life couple Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson knew they had something special on their hands when they wrote Ain't No Mountain High Enough in 1966. They even declined an offer from Dusty Springfield to record the track since they thought that it was it was going to get them access to the hallowed halls of Motown. The plan worked, and it became the first of many duets recorded by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. The duo had a brief run of hits, but Terrell was sidelined by brain cancer diagnosis that took her when she was only 24 in 1970. Wow. So that's really unfortunate, but this song endures, and her voice is so sweet and so innocent sounding. I just love her voice, and it certainly has that Motown feel and that Motown sound. And it is definitely a classic. It is one that I love. And it it's one of those, you know, we're going to talk about this a little on Birds. It's one of those happy songs. It's really, it kind of, you know, makes your mood elevated. And I love those kind of songs, too. I don't only like the depressing ones, David. Well, thank heaven for that. <laughs> I have a fair balance. But this is one of those feel-good tracks, beautiful tracks. Again, another sweet love song, you know, that just, like you said, really endures. Yeah, and uh, as you said, they were a real-life couple, and they knew how to write those. Ha- they wrote some other happy songs, like uh, Ain't Nothing Like the Real oh, Thing. That was a hit for themselves. Well, they went on, of course, and to become... Solid. Solid as a rock. Oh. They went on to become a, a great recording duo of, the, of their own, and, of course, Marvin Gaye went up going oh. to become an even bigger uh, legend than he was at the time as a solo artist. So R&B was never the same. And uh, Ashford and Simpson, oh. Motown, I mean, that is really where it's all about. When I hear... What the word R and B applied to the dreck that's out there today? I gag because honestly, this is the real this thing. This is yeah, Motown. This is the real thing. And there ain't nothing like the ain't real nothing thing, like baby. it. And also, ain't no mountain high enough. No, no, I just want you to know. That's right. And speaking of mountains, there is no mountain high enough that we won't climb for you. As far as content goes, what we want to talk about, and we also want to hear from you. If there's something you want us to talk about on winging it. 
let us know. We'll talk about it. Otherwise, I'm going to keep surprising David, and he may even surprise me now and again. But that brings us to the end of this particular episode of Winging It. So I guess, David, that only leaves for you to say... Let's fly this coop. This has been Birds of a Feather on Fusion Music Radio.